0: Trust in money remains the bedrock of stability. The soul of money is trust.
1: I I think we are not paying sufficient attention to the law of unintended consequences.
0: In the immortal words of the doors, hesitate us through. Natalie Brunel, hello. Hello. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing really good. uh, I'm on my second cup of coffee. Um, oh,
1: good. What time is it there?
0: <laughs> it's early morning and I've loaded it with MCT oil in an attempt to um, kickstart my brain. And uh, I'm I love it. hoping it works. Fingers crossed.
1: I put butter in my coffee. So I'm right there with you. I had two cups today as well.
0: That's nice. No, butter, butter. Okay. I've, I put can of butter in, uh, in my coffee in the past but never, never Mm. straight butter.
1: I do, I do love butter. I'm a butter girl. Mm. Sometimes I put a little Nutella in my coffee (laughs) when I really want to get crazy.
0: Get that hazelnut, hazelnut tang. Very cool. How did you discover Bitcoin?
1: Oh gosh, I had a journey with Bitcoin. I had a couple of touch points. I first heard about it in 2017. It was just a couple thousand dollars, and at the time, I was living in Northern California. I was a news reporter for the state capital. actually. I was covering state politics in California for a local NBC affiliate, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of friends in San Francisco working in the tech space in Silicon Valley, and they started talking about Bitcoin and Coinbase mm-hmm. and cryptocurrencies. And gosh, I wish I could go back in time because at, at that time, I really didn't understand money at all. You know, Bitcoin made me realize how little I, I really understood about both money and the current financial system. So I was very ignorant back then. I thought it was like a stock. I thought, you know, of course, anything I put in is is potentially I- capable of being hacked and going to zero. Mm-hmm. So I put in very little. But at the same time, um, I was curious and I wasn't I wasn't totally closed off to it. I just didn't understand at the time. And so uh, I had a mentor who I, I shared with him. I bought Bitcoin and I'm thankful for him because he went off and he got very curious about Bitcoin and he read the Bitcoin standard. And then for a period of, gosh, it must have been more than six months, he kept saying to me. Natalie, you have to read this book. You have to read about Bitcoin. Like, you don't even know what you just bought. This is what we talk about. This is everything that's wrong that you want to fix. You have to read this book. And it's funny because I I remember back then, you know, I was working as a reporter, I was busy, I was working a crazy schedule. And I just, I thought, I don't have time right now to read a computer science or programming book. I don't have time for that. You know, I'm never going to learn how to code. I don't need this. And again, I wish I could, you know, smack myself over the head, but it took me a couple years um, from that first first touch point, and then I finally read the Bitcoin Standard, and that was the big aha moment for me because not only did I take Bitcoin way more seriously, uh, and it was explained in such an, an easy way, but I realized that I was completely backwards in my thinking about money and and banking and how the whole system is is structured to really offer an advantage to the very few at the top mm-hmm. at the expense of everyone else. And so I became very hungry for knowledge. I you know followed everyone on Twitter. I joined Bitcoin Twitter as just an observer. I started to listen to all the podcasts, read all the books, listen to all the shows, watch all the YouTube videos and uh, and then I eventually started my own show. I became hooked. I uh, but I had I had a, a learning journey that I had to go on.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's a, a very familiar sounding journey in, in the initial stages. A lot of people, you know, they have that first touch point and dismiss it out of hand. Um, whether it's through, you know, conscious or unconscious ignorance, they're just like, you know, it's usually just the lack of time really to to sort of sit down and, and ponder this thing. Um and so, you know, it's easier to just uh just forget about it, dismiss it out of hand. But at least you kind of took the first initial step and, you know, put some money where you at least were directionally correct mouth was. <laughs> and, um, yeah. like, you well, know, At
1: the t- at the time I saw it as almost gambling. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. what if, what if these people are right? You know, Silicon Valley, they've been, they've been on top of the trends w- of where technology is going. So I don't want to miss this boat, but it, it is really interesting to think about how we don't question these, you know set sort of standards and and um and procedures that we all follow we don't question where our money comes from we don't question why things are getting more expensive every year and these are things that i had to peel back all of these complex layers because we just sort of accept right as a society around the world we just accept things get more expensive every year they were cheaper when you were a, a child but why why is that? What is inflation? And so it wasn't until I understood Bitcoin that I really understood these bigger, more important concepts.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting that you say that we aren't it's almost like we're not encouraged to question these sorts of things. They're just taken as read mm-hmm. and you just go about your day and your and your life um as you're sort of, I don't know, I guess led to believe. But you're a journalist and so your entire training and i dare say even prior to 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 getting the necessary well not even necessary qualifications but just just you know the formalized qualifications of becoming a journalist and working as a journalist you would i dare say have some sort of curious streak about you whereby you were on your own uh, under your own steam asking questions about certain things And this is a fairly familiar tale for me as well, but I'd never bothered to question things like inflation. What is money? How does an economy work? Like all of these fundamental basic things. And I think, I mean, from my perspective anyway, most of this stuff on the face of it, on the surface, is just boring. Um, Or at least you think it is. But it's not until you sort of, go down this rabbit hole. And as you mentioned, Saifedean's book, it, in, it, it demonstrates to you or shows you a whole new way of thinking about this thing. And what I've found is that a lot of the concepts that are in and around this understanding of Bitcoin that it takes to kind of know a little bit about are quite intuitive when you actually, when you actually think about them.
1: I agree with you. I mean, this this journey of learning about Bitcoin has taken me to so many different places and subjects that I didn't expect. You know, it's this fusion of a lot of different fields, um, everything from technology to finance, but also, you know, philosophy and social structures politics um you know bitcoin kind of touches everything when you dig deep enough and you start thinking about your life in a deeper way you start thinking about you know how you view the future and your time preference i had never mm-hmm. you know thought so much about how i actually view my t- time my time as a resource that's scarce and you can't get any single second back you know mm-hmm. it's it's gone the second that you spend it and so it's very interesting how Bitcoin touches all of these different aspects of um of of life and and our development process as a human species that has had different monetary technologies, you know, through through the millennia. And I really think that Bitcoin will empower us in so many ways. And I know that some people want to dismiss it because I think that, you know, around the world, so many people have developed almost a pessimistic view about the future. Because, mm, you know, mm. if you look at it. It's almost like it, it's similar to how I, I mentioned earlier. It's like everything was cheaper when you were younger, but also it's almost like there's this universal feeling that everything was sort of better and people were kinder and things were better when you were young, younger and the world is just going in a place that's more and more divided. And I think Bitcoin was something that actually made me think the opposite, that actually we we have this amazing human potential that we have yet to to reach until we fix our money. If we really actually came together and um, and and fix these sort of base layer problems of how we transact value um, at the base layer of any economy, I think that we can start to actually produce you know, the most innovation um, and, and the most value for people around the world in, in the cheapest way possible. I, I just don't think we've reached our potential yet. And so I think it makes me really excited about Bitcoin and, and push for its adoption.
0: Yeah, not not even close. And it's interesting you talk about value. That's definitely a Bitcoin thing. To once you once you start grokking Bitcoin, you start to think about in terms of providing value, offering value, being of service to truth and value, and so on and so forth. Is cool. I mean, you mentioned you know that that sort of rose colored glasses view of the world when you're a kid, and you know I grew up in the '90s with all of the the '90s movies, and there was a huge amount of I guess you're a kid, so it's, it's kind of like, you're not too conscious of this non, like this notion of optimism, but it just yeah. felt a little bit more, um, shall we say hopeful, I guess. And yep. then, I mean, personally, you know, uh, 9-11 just pulled the rug out of, uh, out of like a lot of people's lives, of course, but just in terms of the ongoing effects to uh, the economy and the culture, and then you had 2008, and for a lot of people, there were a bunch of quote unquote catastrophic crises or whatever it is that have seemed to have land around the time that they've reached the next phase of their life. And it's only seems to, so let's just say since 2001, maybe it's, it, you get the sense that it's degrading, um, at a fairly rapid pace as opposed to the nineties. And I've been, yeah. uh, going back through like just watching a lot of nineties movies, really late eighties, early, like nineties kind of films and stuff. And, um, you know, things like Jurassic Park and, um, house sitter, Love it. <laughs> Steve Martin yeah. and Colby Horn, bird on yeah. a wire, uh, independence day. I mean, that, that is a movie I think that captures the potential for the, I guess, the American idea and maybe even the world, I guess, is this, this notion of um, standing up and fighting for what's right and that sort of thing. And that's a lot of that's just been dismissed and thrown out of the window because I think people are so dejected.
1: You know, it's really interesting. I actually... Produced a piece that that talks about that very feeling and and this sort of generation that went through this massive technological change and all of these financial and national crises. Um, I produced it for Hard Money. It was essentially about why. Bitcoin should be embraced by millennials, because you're right. I mean, the 90s, and I'm a millennial, the 90s were sort of like milk and honey. You know, we have so much nostalgia for <laughs> the simpler days of when technology like at its most advanced was, you know, dial up AOL internet and emailing with your friends for the first time or having your first phone where you, you exchanged SMS messages. But it wasn't to the level of, you know, all the social media and all of a sudden your news is at your fingertips and and rapidly changing every couple of seconds. And and we had our con- coming of age during essentially two uh, massive national crises. We were teenagers when 2001 happened, which shook national security and um, you know America started to go in the way of a surveillance state with other countries following. And then we had the great financial crisis and this bubble popping and many people were you know just just at the beginning of their careers or graduating college. and so it's like a, a constant feeling of you're never actually safe on the other side and when will you reach that ultimate mm-hmm. feeling of security? Mm-hmm um and by that point you know when you're in your 30s and 40s that generation for for many of them home ownership is out of reach because of how asset inflation has ballooned and made something like buying a house, very, very different than what it was in the 1970s. And so there's a lot of pressure, downward pressure in terms of, you know, just society and people feeling like they're working really hard and their, their income on paper is pretty good, but yet they can't afford the things that they want to or plan for a secure future or retirement or enough to afford a family. And so I think those pressures, um, they, they're, they're really significant in terms of just, Pulling families apart, pulling um, you know, people apart and feeling like they're left behind and they all of a sudden become very political. Um, it, it really has an impact when you feel like you no longer have hope that the future will be better. Um, and you no longer have security that you can achieve the things you want to. I and and that's really what what the policies of, you know, are Country, my, my country, the U.S. being global reserve currency, exporting all of its inflation and going further and further into debt. There, there are consequences that eventually come back around, and I think we're seeing that now more than ever because we had the the great financial crisis and that bubble pop, and they responded to it with more drugs for the for the system, the stim- the stimulated um, economy. They needed to put pour more gas on the fire, and now we have an even bigger that slow b- bigger bubble that's slowly popping after the pandemic stimulus and so i don't think we've reached uh, the point of pain yet that we're going to i think that we will hit a pretty hard landing and and definitely i'm trying to prepare myself and educate my viewers so that they can have agency and and make the the decisions that they need to make in order to feel secure for the future but what's sad is we've gone so far into debt that i don't see a way out Except for Bitcoin as this parallel system that individuals can opt into, um, and so it's it's just really crazy to see how much the world has changed, not just technologically, but also in terms of how quickly um, we've gone further and further into debt, and went from the U.S. being the world's largest creditor nation and a beacon of hope and opportunity around the world to slowly but surely you know, countries de-dollarizing and people no longer feeling like there's a sense of a middle class or the American dream anymore. That happened pretty quickly when you really zoom out. So um, I really do hope that Bitcoin will address some of these very, very fundamental issues.
0: Oh, me too. And it sounds so silly to sort of say that again on the face of it, because for people that don't really understand Bitcoin, you just, um, I guess, think it's just this bit of cool tech or something, but it, it is, it is this, this, um, this hopeful thing. And and for me personally, it's like, um, it's a representation of all the things that we grew up with in the nineties and we're sort of aiming at, and it's like, okay, that, okay, this is kind of the bridge. And I don't know if it's just sheer desperation that we're imbuing all of these hopes and dreams in this thing in this protocol. And I hope that it's successful and all the rest of it. Um, you know, and I, and I think as Jeff Booth says, we need to get more and more people across this bridge. It's yeah. what what we've seen globally in this sort of macro environment is like a giant experiment in Bastiat's, um, seen and unseen, you know, and then you've got Perb Island who sort of, uh, takes that a little bit further with the unrealized. And I think about that a lot with respect to the, all this interference and stimulus has created mm-hmm this thing over here to the point where we, ha- we don't see this other thing over here, but then as Per Byland points out, you have all of these other unrealized things, all this potential that someone was heading in one direction now thinking this is going to be the move and I'm going to, I'm going to achieve this, that and the other. And then something just happens and blows up in their face. And then we never get that thing. We never are, are able to, you know, experience whatever it was that they were intending on creating or contributing or providing whatever value that was. And and it's it's a real, real shame to sort of think about that. And you can't think about it too much because otherwise you'll get depressed. But as a journalist, you know, part of your job is to uncover these stories, provide information to people such that they have Uh, a significant um, more amount of agency about a particular topic so they can make a more informed decision. But I don't know about you in, in that world, it really spiraled out of control with respect to getting eyeballs for clickbait and the substances of stories were increasingly hollowed out over time. And now by and large, Uh, I think the whole journalism industry is a bit of a joke. And I think I like that you're on this Bitcoin side because, and I get the sense that maybe, you know, you had some sort of ideological, you know, um, dreams that you wanted to try and achieve with, with journalism and fighting the good fight and uncovering the truth and all these things keep coming up against these barriers one after the other. And then you can pivot to this thing called Bitcoin And it's like, it's got your back. And now you can just unleash yourself onto the world as you have.
1: Well, for sure. I mean, I I was really ambitious when I was a young journalist because I entered into the industry uh, just after the financial crisis, and my parents had lost everything. And so for me, being a journalist meant being that extra branch that serves as the watchdog and holds the powerful accountable. Mm-hmm. And so I really had a fire lit under me because there was never a time that I wanted to hold the powerful accountable more. And I had all these questions. Um, mainly, when you you know drill down to it, I thought, how can good people, how can this happen to good people That are hardworking and play by the rules and the big guys, you know, the ones on Wall Street, the big bankers, none of them have consequences that they face. They're not going to prison. They don't lose their houses. In fact, many of them got bonuses. I mean, I saw an ultimate injustice that didn't feel American to me. And my parents had worked so hard to, to come to the country from, from Eastern Europe. So I definitely think that that, um, that m- motivated me to be very hungry and intrepid and just a really dogged journalist. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to uncover the, the paperwork and I wanted to go the extra mile because if there was evidence out there, I knew I could find it. And I was, I was never afraid to hold the powerful accountable. I don't because I think that um, one thing I'm grateful for is my parents really taught me right from wrong and I have a very strong conscience of uh, it was uh, my my family is rooted in a really deep sense of ethics and morality. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I felt like, if you, if you are holding someone accountable, if that person did something wrong, they should be exposed and they should answer to us, the public, especially if it has to do with say public funds or something like that. So, um, it really, it really was a motivating factor for my career, but I did start to become disillusioned after several years because, um, the economic model of news was changing mm. and it had to compete with the internet. And so everyone was moving to these websites like YouTube and all of a sudden there's advertising on Facebook and, um, um, everyone's you know um eyeballs are suddenly bouncing around different locations when they used to only have you know three or four channels to choose from so all of a sudden the motivation and incentive for for stories changed and i also saw more bias increase um you know I, I, speaking to that the the point i mentioned earlier if you're as a journalist supposed to be a watchdog then you're not supposed to just Believe anything that the government tells you, right? And, and right. report it as fact. You're supposed to kind of check it and be very skeptical and make sure that they can they can verify that that is the truth. And what I saw more and more is news outlets in general. If a government agency said something, that was believed to be fact, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that concerned me as well. Uh, you know, my parents grew up under communism, so they distrust government in general, and so I, I think I was I had a little bit of that seed planted in me. And then, you know, when I discovered Bitcoin, I I tried to report on it and I tried to pitch stories, but I just didn't have a a lot of opportunity to do so. And so I'm really grateful that because of the Internet, it has decentralized media in a way that a person like me can actually make a living by sharing these interviews. And there is an audience that's hungry for this information. And, you know, other prominent voices in the space have said it. And I agree. You don't necessarily need college, you know, nowadays. You can learn everything online for free free. Uh, and, and there's no university right now that I'm aware of that ha- gives you a Bitcoin degree. I had to earn that on my own proof <laughs> of work, uh, you know, t- going uh, going on that knowledge journey online independently. Um, but I really think there's something to be said because our education system is so flawed as well. Um, and so I, I don't think that any individuals that I worked with had, you know, bad intentions to misinform people. But when you collectively combine sort of, again, the incentive structure of this business and where it's headed and needing to get clicks and needing to keep up with, with platforms like social media websites, you start to see a lot of distortions and you start to see bias and you start to see, um, people that at one point, you know, this industry was so noble in my eyes. Um, it, it starts to look like, you know, entertainment, and right. and and kind of div- add, adding to the divisiveness because that 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 gets clicks as well. So again, I'm really grateful I was able to transition out. I think there are amazing journalists out there, uh, but I also think that you need to you need to be more skeptical and seek out information and cross check things because not everything you hear in mainstream news is true.
0: No, that's exactly right, and I mean. If... Yeah. You, you're not, um, I guess there's not even really an incentive to do so because again, the economics of the whole industry yeah, uh, actually work against that knowledge, um, finding because you, you don't have the time. You've got to go out, quickly gather the, uh, the quotes and, and quickly smash them out into a 500 word article that like you're supposed to what? Unpack this incredibly complex subject, whatever it may be, and distill it into 500 words, a thousand words, whatever it is, or, you know, a piece to camera. And, and it's just like, even a talking head, like a, like a 32nd interview, it's just, you're not going to get any knowledge and, 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 and it's just moving on from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next in order to get to the ad break so that, um, the people that pay the bills get their pound of flesh.
1: Right. Yeah. When the economic model was different, you know, they were the media, they were the gatekeepers to this information. And they also had more of a budget to have staff that did different jobs like TV networks. Uh, before I started in the industry, there was a reporter on camera, but there was also a lighting person, an editor, a sound person. There was like a producer, there was a crew of five. And by the time I exited college and went uh, into the industry, it was one person that was paid basically a fifth. Um, so it's really crazy. Um, And, and, and when you have a newspaper, for example, you need to be able to hire more staff so that they can specialize so that they can build sources and expertise in different topics so that they can break stories and cover them in a way that is very credible. And today we don't have that, you know, one staff member is covering all these different subjects, you can't become an expert in overnight. And, uh, and again, they're trying to compete and it's just, it's just totally broken. And so when I was a journalism, I was an adjunct professor at USC for a couple of years And I would tell all my students, build an expertise in something. It will make you so much more marketable. You know, don't just be someone that knows a little bit about everything. Um, Be someone who goes down to the sand in one topic so that when when needed, everyone will come to you for the information. And that's certainly paying off in Bitcoin, because at, at this point right now, because we're still early, there are very few people who, for example, in the media talk about it. And that provides a lot of opportunity, whereas in, in other areas, if you could just talk a little bit about everything, that's a good skill set. But when you know something deeply and you can be considered an expert or a you know someone who, who has very um, thoughtful insights or analysis, that can be, be very very marketable in whatever industry you're pursuing
0: yeah i look <laughs> you're um your are the, there's occasionally like a little viral video that will go around if you if you ever did a did a little uh spot on fox news or something like that and your ability to articulate this incredibly complex thing that we you know we're talking about bitcoin here in a clear concise correct and compelling manner is like mind blowing, I think, to a lot of people, but particularly to me, just just watching you. you unpack complexity within like a minute and a half, two minutes is just like wow. That's a cool skill to have. So um kudos. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's like Thank a Neil you. says, know your shit or know your shit. And uh, I think you know your shit, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it just it just takes reps. Um for me, a lot of people ask me how how I go on camera and um, how I feel comfortable. And it's just because I did it for 10 years every day, I had to go on camera and distill something that I maybe learned about that morning in a minute and a half or less. And so you just you you get better at it. And I'm still I'm still working on it. It's always it's always a work in a, 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 a working skill that I'm trying to hone every time I, I go on air and you watch yourself back and we're always our worst critics. And I think I could have said something a little bit better, but, you know, we're doing our best to educate. And I think the hardest thing about this is that it is so technical. It has so many layers to it. It's a little bit intimidating. Um, And, and to distill it in a way that's easy to understand for the general audience is a challenge, but it's an exciting challenge because I was there too. You know, I don't have a technical or finance background or engineering. My, 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 background is media and yet i was able to come to a place where i really do think that bitcoin is what can help us in the future in terms of human prosperity and flourishing and so um you know it's, i try to come up with analogies and ways to relate it to the average person so that they they take a moment and at least it sparks their curiosity to learn
0: yeah just create that little itch that they uh, they have to scratch yeah. yeah how has discovering bitcoin changed
1: you I would say the biggest thing is it's given me more hope. I think that there was a a part of me that was starting to see the world in um, sort of a, a gray way when I looked at the future. And the reason is because, you know, as a reporter, you are confronted with the, some of the worst sides of the human experience. You mm-hmm. know, I, I was covering a lot of tragedies. Um, I was a breaking news correspondent for a couple of years and I covered a lot of our nation's mass shootings. I covered natural disasters. You know, I, the news doesn't come out unless something terrible's happening. And so I saw a lot of darkness and I saw a lot, of, a lot of heartbreak And I saw a lot of people just really struggling and feeling like they can't take care of their families. Um, And so I looked in the future and I just thought, what will make it better? You know, because it seems like every year, no matter who you elect into office, I also covered the elections, obviously, (laughs) you know, we kind of ping pong back and forth. We went from red to blue to red to blue. And yet these fundamental problems are not getting fixed. You know, the school systems are not getting fixed. People are not able to more easily afford retirement. People aren't getting healthier. People aren't getting, you know, feeling like they're able to afford their kids education. I mean, all these problems are just getting worse. And so it was really when I dug into Bitcoin and started to learn about the system and its flaws and how Bitcoin can address the the very problems that that plague us at the deepest levels. I started to feel a lot of hope. I started to realize that this can be a peaceful transition, and people can start to save. And when they when they're able to save, they can start to plan for the future, and they can be more cooperative. They can take more more risks as opposed to just you know. I I really do believe that one of our problems because our money broken is that we resort to these, these short-term behaviors, short-term thinking, instant gratification, you know, taking advantage of people because you just don't feel like you're in control or can get by. And, and it's, it's really hurting us at large. It's like hurting the spirit of, I think who we are as, as people, And so I think that Bitcoin will address that and provide people with a little sense of hope, and then they can hopefully you know work harder and feel more empowered at whatever they want to do, but also maybe be kinder to each other and and find common ground. And so, you know, maybe maybe that's that's a worldview that's very optimistic. But I'd rather have the more optimistic view than sit and believe that the world is just you know going to hell in a handbasket. I really do believe that the average person wants to do right by their neighbor and is a good person who knows right from wrong. And I think they just need to be empowered. And I think people just need the chance to have economic dignity. I I think the ability to save is paramount because when you have economic dignity and you're not so worried, um, you can make smarter decisions for yourself, for your family, for your community. And I think we would all benefit from, from that.
0: Economic dignity is an awesome term. I'm going to steal that. Um, I mean that's the thing, right? You 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 observe the political machinations over time. If you come up in this sort of world and you you get really intrigued by politics and the by and the and the partisanship and the backwards and forwards and the arguments in the chambers and all this sort of stuff. And it's like it's like a soap opera for ugly people, you know. It's just it's just like it's compelling if you are so down in it and you think that this is the, this is the solution. The political is the solution. If only we had X person, you know, voted in yeah. then they would solve all my problems. And, and it's like, it's, I don't know if it's purposefully obfuscated, but it really does come back to just economic empowerment and enabling individuals to, First of all, save so that they can actually expend a little bit of extra time per day per week, whatever it is, working on that thing that really interests them that they're passionate about that they think you know I, I, i'm I'm pretty good at this. If I could just refine mm-hmm. this skill a little bit more, it it's entirely possible that I could find someone to sell it to or to to give away or wh- whatever think, it is, right? But because you well, th- don't have that buffer, yeah, you you just gotta you know stick at the thing that you're doing and you've got to take that short term view of things Mm -hmm. and you can't cultivate and develop a long-term skill that may contribute something wonderful to someone one day if it's just knife making or you know recording a podcast or doing wood turning or writing a, a book a zine what i don't know man like it the the, the the lack of ability to just have this little buffer of economic um you know dignity is it's a big mm-hmm. problem
1: i I absolutely agree, and I think humans are programmed to work you know, we are not sedentary by nature. We move and objects that are in motion want to stay in motion. We want to have that momentum. The problem is when you're working and you're laboring and you're putting in your energy into something, and yet the money that you earn, the fruit of that labor is just evaporating before your eyes. And the harder and harder you work, you, you never feel like you have enough or can catch up or can just breathe a sigh of relief. That's the problem because you're the value of what you're working for is getting eroded and getting sucked out through inflation and through these policies. And so that's why I think there's this collective frustration. That's where I think the economic dignity is missing because no matter the job, whether you love it, or it's something to get you through in order to eventually do what you love, if you, if it, if you're, money that you're earning is just melting away and the air is getting sucked out you don't have motivation to keep doing it you know and so i think that starts to cause us to break down you have people who just feel frustrated i mean that's why so many people are fighting for the minimum wage laws when they don't really understand you know the system at large and why why they're fighting and why there's wage deflation because of the expanding money supply but they're fighting because who would want to do a certain job at a a certain amount? You know, it's, it's like, you can't get by, you can't survive in a way that you could just 10 years ago, much less 20, 30 years ago. And so I really think we need to address that. We need to fix the money and we need to, look at the fact that we've had these experiments in countries and empires throughout history where we've had only inflationary money and we see where that has ended up. And and we should try the opposite at this point. We should try a disinflationary monetary technology where everyone is held accountable and we can trust the prices, the price signals, because they're based on real interest rates and they're based on real capital and real savings as opposed to credit. And I think that that's transformative for society. But of course, the people who are in power don't want to relinquish that power and the grip that they have, uh, their monopoly over money. So we need to fight for that because I think that 8 billion people are more powerful than the small group of elites. And if 8 billion people want a permissionless, censorship-resisted freedom money, they will have it. We just need to push adoption and education and we'll get there.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned that Bitcoin has made you a little more hopeful for the future. And uh, I guess, as you said, you see the the the, the a lot of um, terrible, mm, worst side of, of of humans when you when you go into a journalism game, right? And you you cover stories. You know the the the, the motto motto is like if it bleeds, it leads, right? So, you know, yeah. you, you're constantly trying to um, find the most horrific thing possible to sell a lot of whatever it is that you you're working on. And I see that time and time and time and time again. Uh, and so it's easy to become cynical. Um, and I think as George Carlin says, scratch a cynic and you'll find an idealist or a person that was once an idealist. Um, what else has it done for you in terms of being hopeful? It's obviously enabled you to um, forge a, a career in this in this industry, which you're bridging between the MSM, the mainstream, and and this kind of niche little echo chamber we find ourselves in which is growing all the time. The network is growing all the time, but I've, 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 I see you as like a, a real pivotal node in this network that is, is, is the conduit between a lot of the niche echo chambery kind of info that we all sit around talking about. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's going to be amazing. And this outside world where they just don't get it yet. Um, have you had experiences with former colleagues, um, and other people within the industry where you've been able to, you know, explain the value prop of, of Bitcoin and, and for want of a better word, orange pill them?
1: A, a little bit. And thank you for your kind words. You know, I, I am trying to bridge that divide between the mainstream and the general audience, um, and this world of Bitcoin that has, you know, such deep expertise in all these different subjects, uh, within Bitcoin and industries. Um, you know, it's tough. Some people they understand and they're curious and their minds are open. And others, I, you know, I haven't been able to reach yet. And it's going to be a little bit more of a journey. But again, I just think that so many people don't question what currently is. They they don't stop to question that they what they know and what they've learned could actually be wrong. That they need to unlearn something and learn something new. Um, and so that's that's probably the biggest challenge because you know I. Bitcoin causes you to question the whole system, right? The system is constructed in a certain way. There are certain powers that exist. There's this central bank. Um, Our money is, created in a certain way and so how or why would you question it our schools certainly don't teach us to and so by the time someone is in their 20s and 30s and you know well into their career it's very difficult to get them to stop and say oh maybe i could be completely wrong about how how all of this functions so um questioning power structures is probably probably the most difficult thing for for some people especially in in my former industry but i do the best i can i mean for me I want to reach the person at home that's working really hard and just feeling like they just can't, they can't get to where they want to be, you know, whether they're young or old. Um, I just think that so many people have been, have been stolen from, I think that when people say inflation is it's counterfeiting and it's theft, that is the truth. It is, it is a tax on the very people who cannot be taxed, who can't afford to be taxed. And it's not fair. And I think that we need to treat one another with more integrity and the the playing field economically should be more level i've never been someone who believes in equal outcome because i think the chips will fall where they will and there should be a fair competition it's going but it should be equal opportunity right there shouldn't be some people some players at the table who have an advantage or get to create the money on the monopoly board and then others just have to see what happens um you know rfk junior is a presidential candidate and he's pro bitcoin or or says he is so my my hopes are high you know <laughs> um but he he went on a a news show and i remember him saying that we have We have essentially two systems within the United States. We have capitalism, brutal, harsh capitalism, where people are allowed to fail for the poor and for the middle class. And we have cushy socialism for the rich, where anything they do wrong just gets bailed out. And and honestly, that resonated with me. That spoke to me so deeply because I agree. You know, the average person, if something goes wrong and they can't afford their bill or they, you know, God forbid something happens to them medically, they go into debt, they might lose their house. They, you know, if they can't make a mortgage, they can be kicked out on the street. But, you know, the rich guy that makes a bad bet and over leverages something Federal Reserve will just print the difference. I mean, that's not fair. That's not the best of who we can be as humans. And so I really hope that Bitcoin stands stands up to that system because that fiat system is one of injustice and theft. And Bitcoin is a system of truth and competition. And, um, and I'd rather play in a competition and, and a game where the rules are, are fair, they're not rigged
0: yeah exactly, and you say that it just it just again, for someone that hasn't quite done the work yet or um it isn't as curious that it does sound silly that like well wow, inflation's theft, what are you talking about it it just it's jarring because it uh it doesn't align with the the calcified thinking that uh, that they've had for such a long time. What I find most interesting is like an industry like journalism, which is effectively built on the notion of curiosity (laughs) and truth seeking. Uh Um, there's a huge reluctance to try anything new and to innovate or to think in a different way. And I don't know what that is. I can't account for that culture and why it persists given the, the whole reason for the industry in the first place, which is to, Discover new things and uncover stories, and so on and so forth. I like how my uh, questions sort of tend to get answered in the previous one. That occasionally, a guest will will start sort of hitting on those things. I have these like guiding questions that I like to to mm-hmm. attach the, the the interview to. What have you learned about the world and yourself since discovering Bitcoin? I'm going to ask it anyway. There you go.
1: I mean, I've just, I've developed more hope and it's solidified that, you know, I can achieve the things that I want. I think that for a long time I questioned and it, you know, it's, it can be very frustrating for a young person when you play by the rules or you do all the right things or the things you were taught in school in order to, you know, achieve so-called success and that it, it still butts up against this reality that it's so hard. It's so hard to afford a house. How do I plan for my retirement? How do I afford a family? Um, These are very real things that alter big life decisions, you know, and we're seeing it within our demographics. People are waiting to get married. Um, There are more divorces and a lot of the issues in divorces are financial. People are having less children. And, And to think that economics isn't rooted in a lot of those issues would be, I think, very naive. So for me, it's made me again. It's made me feel hopeful that the world will will go to a place that is more abundant, prosperous, and also good in terms of less division, less violence. Um, but also that I can achieve the things that will bring me a sense of security, so that I can take care of my family and be more giving of my time to them. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, it's not lost on me that time is more scarce than bitcoin right we we get this one life and every minute that goes by we we never get it back and so what we do we have to we have to really cherish our lives and at the end at the end of our lives we're going to look back and it's not going to be necessarily you know, the work and the, the amount of money you have in the bank, it's going to be the connections that you made and the people that you served and the people who rely on you and love you. Um, and so I feel like Bitcoin's going to give me the chance to serve people better and those connections and foster them more. So I, I just, it's just made me a happier, more hopeful person. And I, I just want to share the education with others because, you know, this is something that if, if, if Bitcoin wins, everyone wins um everyone will benefit you can you can hate each other you can be enemies but you'll both benefit from bitcoin um and maybe maybe bitcoin will break down some of those barriers and walls uh, so yeah
0: have you had conversations with people that um they're well meaning in their reluctance to understand bitcoin they you know fire off the same old FUD that has been debunked in uh, a number of times over and over again. Um, and they perhaps have more of a um, socialist bent, perhaps they did the liberal arts sort of side of things at uni or whatever. Um, and you know, they, they would actually benefit the most by adopting Bitcoin, by learning about Bitcoin, by, uh, even just saving a little bit of, of, of money, uh, in Bitcoin. And yet there is this barrier, uh, cognitive barrier to, to get them to understand it. I, I'm trying to figure out ways of meeting people at their map of the world such that, you know, you can find a way in, but there's a few, and a lot of them are, are friends that are, um, uh, academics and, they just can't let go of the political solution. And I'm mm-hmm. just curious to know if you have a a method to sort of, if you've come across people like that as well, that, that maybe you've found a, a way in.
1: I mean, for sure. You, you, I meet people from all different backgrounds and some are more willing to listen than others. Um, and some definitely have these predisposed notions that, are very difficult for them to shake. The easiest way for me to be able to reach people that are the most against opening their minds is allowing them to ask questions or, and asking them, you know, some simple questions as well to really understand if they understand the system in terms of like why things are getting more expensive when actually technology is supposed to drive prices down. And so, um, allowing them to ask some questions can foster some really interesting and stimulating conversations. Some people are more, you know, closed off than others, but I will say, I definitely agree with, with the, the overall feeling that if someone understands bitcoin fully i I have yet to meet a person who really understands bitcoin understands mining the energy component understands the financial and like social implications and structures i've yet to meet a person who gets it and doesn't believe in bitcoin it's the people who have not really fully dug in questioned all of their beliefs researched enough looked into certain narratives, um, those are the people that are skeptical. And, you know, we, we also need, we need those people um, in the sense that we have to be strong in our arguments and we have to make sure that we have, you know, everything really, really carefully thought out in terms of the weaknesses or vulnerabilities uh, potentially in the future. And so it, it's good that it strengthens our arguments to talk to the naysayers. But But when someone's a naysayer, it just says to me, you just haven't done your homework.
0: And then it's really, really difficult to not do that Satoshi quote where it's like, if you don't get it, I don't have time to explain it to you. Sorry.
1: And sometimes you get there, you know, you're talking to someone and you're giving them really solid points and they're just not getting it. And it's like, I can't, I can't, after a certain point, you can't help everybody.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You just got to pick your battles, right? It's, it's, it's true though. Like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, I'm reminded of that, um, uh, I think it's Ralph Waldo Emerson, from memory, uh, is it something about the mind once stretched by a new idea, uh, can't return mm-hmm. to its original dimensions. And yeah. f- for me, like that's, that's been a bit of a guiding principle, um, for my life is, is, is just being open to those new ideas and being curious, uh, to, to, to be wrong effectively. Like you have this one mm-hmm. particular way of thinking and, um, next minute you're coming up against somebody who's telling you a complete opposite thing. And it's jarring and you don't really want to hear it. And you got to fight yeah. that lizard brain in your in the back yeah. of your mind. But uh, you've got to push through that and go, okay, well, let's investigate this a little bit further. Let's-
1: yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I think that we can just look to history, right? As our guide, if these policies worked, and if politics could solve this, then we wouldn't have these problems and they wouldn't be ballooning. And if we could just fix problems by tapering them over with money. I mean, we print money, so why wouldn't we be able to just get rid of poverty? It's because that's that's actually not how you fix it, right? Expanding <laughs> the money money supply is is not going to fix poverty. You can't just hand out a bunch of money and and expect the problems to evaporate. So, you really have to dig in with with a lot of people because again, in most countries financial literacy is very poor financial education is very poor and the system ultimately i've learned is sort of designed that way right it's designed to reinforce the structures and um there are you know there's a lot of government influence in education and curriculum and so you really need to be an independent thinker and be able to be have critical thinking skills in order to be able to say no just because i'm being told this isn't ne- it's not necessarily true and we have proof over many many years as well that Governments have lied to us or things that we thought were accurate actually weren't. And so, you know, I really urge people always be skeptical and have critical thinking and never lose your curiosity because there's so much out there to learn and experience. And that's what science is supposed to be about. You know, it's it's like science. Science is not supposed to banish anything that that goes against what sort of a mainstream narrative is, it's supposed to question always, it's supposed to hunt for new information and, and try to poke holes in things to see if theories are correct or not. And yet, sometimes I feel like I look at mainstream news, and they've just decided it's like black or white, it's this or that. Um, And that's not very thoughtful or intelligent. So, um, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. But I think the internet will really help and, and, and help spread the knowledge around the world and allow people to learn and think for themselves.
0: Yeah. I mean, these days, if you are a critical thinker, you generally tended, to, um, you know, to, <laughs> you're either labeled a, a bigot or a racist or, um, like, uh, um, I don't know, just like some mean word or whatever. And, and you, you, it, the conversation shuts down immediately. Mm-hmm. There's nothing left open. And, and the mainstream are really bad, uh, bad. They're really good at doing that. They, they, they just adopt this. Yeah. As you said, black or white, and this is what it is. And there is no room for discussion, uh, at all. Mm-hmm. But then you've got techs, uh, technologies like obviously Nostra. Um, but Twitter spaces, I think is a really good one. I, I try and walk out of the, the Bitcoin bubble from time to time to, um, see what else is going on and it's you know it's hard because <laughs> <laughs> everything you just think oh man like it Bitcoin fixes that issue that you're talking about yeah but to hear like a Twitter spaces the other night where it went for four hours on a fairly divisive topic that's occurring in Australia at the moment and listening to the different conversations and points of views from people like that are just anons on the internet and a lot of them had considered points of view they were well articulated well argued and it was just really refreshing to hear that now, not everyone's going to sit there for four hours. And I certainly didn't. Um, but you know, you sit there for half an hour. I sit there for an hour. I listen to all these podcasts it's the abundance of media that we have access to and the ability to not know things nowadays is like inexcusable to the point where actually, if you can't critically think about things, then there is something significantly wrong and you need to, you need to probably rectify that.
1: No, for sure. And it really is interesting that there is so much division, no matter where you are, there's division within some, some topic. And I can't help but think of a, there was a study done. I I don't remember what university did it, but it was actually on children. And first the scientists sort of um, made it so that the children turned against one another. They were, they were all sort of infighting. And the way that it was solved is there was a problem to fix that required all of them to basically cooperate. So it was a matter of sort of survival. And so even though they had been divided into two camps or two teams, and they were battling each other and competing and really developing a sense of resentment or or animosity toward one another, when presented with a problem like, hey, the, the house that you're all in is about to fall down, you need for survival to all cooperate after they solved the problem, they all were friendly and on better terms. And I just, I wonder if we could do that in a big picture way, right? Like we're all focusing on ourselves and our individual issues and we're frustrated and the overall system just feels so unfair. But the common problem we have is... Money and so, if we all focused our energy on fixing that and making a more level playing field, imagine how much we can play with each other, you know, and make the the best of the world and and achieve things. Um, and it won't it won't be perfect, but I think we could certainly strive to be far far more cooperative than we are right now.
0: Oh, without a doubt, and. It's interesting, you know. I've uh, that 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 uh, experiment you were just discussing. It reminded me of the Tuttle twins. They've got this book called The uh, Tuttle Twins okay. and the Golden Rule, and I got exposed to those those books um, a little while ago. And they're very difficult to try and um, acquire here in uh, in Australia. But I managed uh-huh. to uh, get a couple of sets with the help of a good friend. And uh, man, I mean, re- I read, I read those books like, like a, like a five-year-old because a lot of the concepts within those books, um, were just not really eschewed to me when I was, when I was younger. And so the plan is to try and, you know, pass that on as, as early as I possibly can. Learning everything, uh, uh, learning the, the, the teaching as early as I can, all the stuff that I learned late. And that's, that's, that's the plan, right? Yeah. And this whole uh, golden rule thing is exactly that. Like these, these uh, the twins are, are pitched against each other in these two little camps and they, <laughs> they fight and all the rest of it. But then they have to come in together and solve a common problem. I think in the real world, when we come together to solve a common problem, it's generally because some violence is being committed on the other side of the world or somewhere else. And like that's just not cool. We, we, we've got something um, bigger and better to, to expend our scarce time and find out energy on, you know?
1: For sure. No, I, I completely agree with you.
0: So you're really good at this and you've done this before, but, uh, how do you explain Bitcoin?
1: <laughs> um, well first I, you know, I try to ask questions about how a person saves. It really just depends on the audience nowadays. I swear I, I reach people, um differently depending on on who they are and what their needs are. Um so I usually just start with how they how they save and the fact that, you know, can they explain why things are getting more expensive in terms of the big picture, the education, cost of retirement, cost of housing versus, you know, the little trinkets and things that are easy to produce. And so I, I kind of start with that and sort of see if they understand really what inflation is because I personally, you know, um, before 2020, I didn't even think about the word inflation. Uh, now we hear about CPI and is CPI dropping down to 2%? Well, <laughs> why is it 2%? Who decided 2%? Why do we have inflation at all? And what does it mean? Um, and so Bitcoin was really forced me to, to look at that and think about how how, you know, it can change. But the two properties of Bitcoin that I try to explain to people in a simple way is just that it is truly decentralized, like the internet. In, in the same way the internet has no headquarters, no language, no CEO, no leadership. Um, Bitcoin is the same, and it's it's governed by rules, not rulers. And then the scarcity component. So you don't want an expanding money supply. You don't want something that's easy to create. You want something that's hard and difficult. Um, and you want something that's truly scarce. So those are the things that I try to, you know, hit on, but every everyone's a little bit different. um depending on depending on who they are, their needs, their background, their their level of knowledge. Um, I, tr- I, I orange pill in a different way.
0: <laughs> Natalie, this has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you spending your scarce time and finite energy telling us the tale of how you discovered Bitcoin. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>